0: This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, JOY. Keep JOY on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. JOY, a diverse sound for a diverse community.
1: This is A Little Pot of JOY, the podcast program.
2: Welcome. This is A Little Pot of JOY, the podcast show. With Andrea and Alice. Our community is made up of so many amazing and diverse groups of people, as are the programs on Joy 94.9. There is something for everyone. A little pot of joy is where we highlight just some of these amazing programs. We're opening the evening with a podcast from Hide and Seek. Well, this one's a little bit ticklish. Well, it's diverse.
0: (laughs) Diverse is one word for it.
2: May is masturbation month, so Dean and James thought they'd explore some of the jerking offs of this tongue-in-cheek wondrous pleasure.
0: They certainly did. What's the history of wanking? Did the Romans do it? Surely the ancient Greeks did. The boys are joined by comedians Wes Snelling and Nath Valvo as they too ponder on one of life's greatest pleasures.
2: So if you've missed Hide and Seek, a podcast is available for download from the Joy website joy.org.au forward slash hide and seek. This is a Little Pot of
1: Joy, the podcast program. Hide and
3: Seek. Is it?
4: Dean Beck and James Findlay are with you on this uh, Masturbation Month edition of mm. Hide and Seek. May is Masturbation Month. James, you've got some interesting facts there from history. Yeah, I think it's time that we take a walk down the history books. Right. I was going to say walk down memory lane. Screwed that up. Mm. uh, Pretty much. uh, We're taking a look into the history books, Dean. Right. Of the history of wanking. Now, uh, in Europe, 40,000 years ago, uh, there is... uh, There are... What are they called? Uh, There are scribes. uh, People who write things down. Yeah. Yeah. Wanking started then. Now, it was ranging... <laughs> that's when it started, yeah, really. Yeah, it started 40,000 years ago. Uh, ranged, and these uh, scribes, the things in the wall, they ranged from oral sex to bestiality. Artists mm-hmm, mm-hmm, were mm-hmm. screwing animals and painting about Yep, them. that's right. Now, in ancient Egypt, uh, it was used to increase potency as well as religious rite. Isn't that interesting? Because there are some that say it decreases potency. Mm. Well, uh, the Egyptians worked (laughs) it out all those years ago, Mm -hmm. thought of that. Uh, Now, some people, oh, and also in ancient Egypt, uh, Tigris, which is an Egyptian god, Mm. uh, was created by the ejaculation of the god Enki. One did not exist without the other. That's right. And Atom. Atom's ejaculations, who's another god, god. Uh, were con- uh, also controlled the annual flooding of the Nile, ironically. <sighs> Blue once a year. That's right. And also the pharaohs were expected in their roles as god kings to follow suit and ejaculate into the river. Right. Yeah. And uh, I've actually got a, um, oh, an Egyptian uh, scroll scroll thing. Yeah. Yep. And it's all framed of uh, the Egyptian god. Um, having a toss into the river. Having a toss. Yeah. So um, there was one that has a right. massive penis, right? Yeah. Huge. Um, but he doesn't have a leg. Like he's only got one leg. So what one happened One leg, was, one dick. Yeah, that's right. So there was one time where he was, uh, he was only a little boy and he was kept in this Egyptian village um, while all the men left. To, to go out to war or fight or with something. one leg and one dick well no he didn't have the one leg there but he had a massive penis right yes. anyway when all the men came back all the women nine months later were having children and it's because of this guy with a huge dick that like impregnated them all so then the, the men wow. had to get back at him so they cut off one of his legs Right, still had a massive penis. So now him in all the the um, the hieroglyphic things, Hi, yes, yeah, means that um, it's good for um, for, uh, for fertility, like, fertility, yeah. Right. right. So now he's the fertility god. Wow, There's a god, little I'm exhausted just hearing about it. Anyway, so that now the Kama Sutra. The Indian text yeah, that we yeah, all know, yeah, two thousand yeah. years ago, recommends that you quote churn your instrument with a lion's pounce. Uh, sit with legs stretched out at right angles to one another, propping yourself up with two hands planted on the ground in between them, and in between uh, and that in between your arms. It actually sounds quite um, difficult, but still yes. says you should wank. Now in ancient Greece, masturbation was widely accepted. But in ancient Rome, it was only seen as something that only slaves should do. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. I wonder what the gentry did. Oh, they were too busy rooting. Just uh, wrap your lips around this. G'day, you little fuckers. How are we? Righto, get this. Last night, I got caught having a fucking flog by me mum. Like, my mum actually walked in when I was just fucking going out at it. And the worst thing is I could be pulling it for half an hour, not need to come. And then as soon as some prick walks in, it's ready for fucking liftoff. And you know what else I found interesting? When I pop the cork, I go borderline brain dead for about five seconds. Like if I was in high school, I would get accepted into the fucking special ed unit. And what's even funnier is that when you finish coming and looking like you've got cerebral palsy, you just go back to normal. Wow, that was... That was harsh. And that was the censored <laughs> was, version, I
1: might add. Yeah. yeah, right. Can I just say, I got a phone call about three hours ago from Dean Beck saying, can you come over and talk about wanking? And um, I literally have no idea where you're going with this. Tonight, the topic is masturbation. The guest is Zach Efron, who seems to be a bit of a master of masturbation. I'm to the point now where I can actually completely do it with no hands. You can masturbate with no hands. Yes, which is like a total legal gray area. Like, I can drive with my hands and masturbate with my knees. See, I can, like, show you. See, I'd be like, my position in the car, you know, is up here, both hands. Are you masturbating right now? What? I can't understand what you're you're saying. We're on television. You're masturbating in front of everybody right now. What are you talking about? My hands are up here. My hands are up here. I know, but you just told me that you you can masturbate without your hands. You're not supposed to talk about that. Zach! You're done with that. How long (laughs) does it take? Are you going to finish right now? Shh. Zach. If you're just joining us, Zach Efron is masturbating with no hands, and he's about to climax. Shh. Shh. Goddamn. (laughs) Woo-hoo! Congratulations. (laughs) That was incredible. Thank you. Now, Zach, how many times today? Seventeen. Seventeen times? 17 times until, until now. Yeah.
2: Wow. Yeah.
1: Look, I had no idea what you wanted to talk to me about, and that's what we're going to talk about. There's hey. a whole month for masturbating now. There's yeah. a
4: whole month of it. Well, who needs the month? Well, James needs it. He's born in that month. Uh, but who's decided? Oh my God, I have so many questions. Who's decided that it's Wanker Month, and what happened in this month? Well, Is that, it a parade? The, <laughs> that's a good, very good. I don't know who would have come up with it. I want
2: a parade.
4: <laughs> well, well, there's a, there's a month for just, everything.
2: Well, now I can just imagine all those rednecks going. Oh, I don't care what you do in the privacy of your own home, but you need a whole month in my face.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us on Hide and Seek.
2: You're listening to A Little Pot of Joy with Andrea and Alice. And now wasn't that really bizarre?
0: That was something special for sure.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you really need to go back and listen to the entire interview. Feel the shock of the interviewee.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Definitely a highlight. I don't think that they told anyone who was coming on the show what they were actually going to be talking about.
2: I think if someone had mentioned what the topic was about, most people would have run away. You
0: might be right.
2: You really do have to go back and listen to the entire podcast. We really just couldn't bring ourselves to put any more into it.
0: (laughs) There's a lot of highlights.
2: Up next from Stand Up Straight, we have this amazing story.
0: It is amazing. On the 7th of May, Stand Up Straight interviewed Susie Taylor and friends to hear about the Kickstarter campaign for her film Love in Full Colour which follows a group of LGBTI youth as they head off to the minus 18 same-sex formal.
2: We listened through this podcast several times just trying to work out how we can edit it and it just became too difficult. It was such an inspiring story and the, the heartfelt feelings that they were expressing was just amazing.
0: It's really beautiful, and we've actually included two parts of this interview in the program today.
2: And we highly recommend that anyone that feels anything about the initial part of the story goes back and actually downloads the entire podcast and listen to it. Absolutely. You're listening to A Little Pot of Joy, and if you've missed any of the programs, you can always go to the Joy website and download them from www.joy.org.au or download them for free from the iTunes store.
1: You're listening to A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program.
5: Stand up Stand up. Good evening, everyone, and welcome. I am Michelle Barber, and you're listening to Stand Up Straight. Did you attend your high school dance or formal? Were you allowed to have anyone as your partner? How would you feel if you were advised that the person that you loved was not welcome? We take for granted sometimes that the pe- that the people we do love make no difference to anyone, but sometimes it does. So Susie Taylor has been moved by these questions, and I'm sure a lot more, and joins us tonight to chat about what was the seed of an idea and what turned into a short film called Love in Full Colour, which was uh, presented at MQF this year. Welcome, Susie. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for for joining me. So. I wasn't quite sure what my first question to you was going to be tonight and I kind of mulled it over in my head and I watched the uh, little promotional piece that uh, is for your movie and I was sitting next to Clayton and I turned to him and I said, this is the stuff that makes me cry.
1: We need to put tissues in in (laughs) there. Especially
5: with me, I should always have one. Tell me, we'll talk about what was behind it and what the impetus was, but do you cry
6: and have you cried when you've been talking to these young folks? Um, not so much during the interviews, but definitely during the edit process. There have been plenty of tears and subsequently as well. Um it's, you know, it's a really, it's a very humbling experience to be able to, to be trusted with people's stories. You know, stories are such precious things. Mm. And so the young people involved in this film are just phenomenal, as I think comes across in the trailer. And so, yeah, the editor, Sue Curry and I, we shed plenty of tears. I'm curious as to what drew you to that, because there's so
5: many topics and uh, hot issues. What drew you to that, though, the same-sex formal?
6: I don't know. I guess I'd studied anthropology. So I was always very interesting in, you know, rites of passage. Mm. And um, and I, I had an inkling that, you know, it's not really just about not getting to go to a party. I had an inkling that, you know, the chances are this is just the tip of the iceberg. Mm. But it's a very kind of, you know, it's a it's a symbol of something that's so much deeper. And even though, you know, like we say, oh, the dead ball, or the formula, it's a bit... a bit daggy it's kind of Mm. all we've got you Mm. know when you're growing up as a teenager certainly in sort of secular society in Australia um, we don't have too many rites of passage so in that sense to be denied access to go or to not feel comfortable to go is pretty significant when that comes in the context of a lot of other isolation and and you know invisibility that you might already be feeling. Susie we're going to uh, play a trailer and I uh, would love if you could introduce uh, what we're about to enjoy. Sure. So this is um, a couple of minutes kind of audio montage uh, where you get to hear most of the voices of the young people in the documentary film "Loving Full Colour, which is currently part of a Kickstarter campaign, <laughs> um, which we're almost halfway through. And um, I think there's a link to it on the Stand Up Straight Facebook page. There is. So we'll chat a little bit more about that. Uh, so sit back, guys, and have a
5: listen.
0: When my girlfriend first told me she loved me back, which was about nine months into our relationship, which was fun considering I told her I loved her three months in, Um, it was just the best. And there's nothing like being told, um, someone loves you.
1: First person I ever fell in love with was a guy. And I never really felt that way about anyone. You know, I dated people and I'd like them a lot, but... This was, from the moment I met him, such an intense infatuation and like I remember the first time we kissed and I kind of felt so nervous and happy and confused and excited and all these emotions, all these bubbling, bursting emotions all at once and it was really like, oh my God, I'm kissing a guy, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. And that, for me, is something I think I'll remember for a very long time.
7: She's the most amazing person i met. She's really kind. She's got the best sense of humour. She's got a smile that's infectious and lights everything up. She's just... She's really nice to everyone. You can't not like her. She's that sort of person.
0: So the first time I fell in love, I was completely blind um, I didn't really see it coming and I guess it was just like BAM <laughs> it's, you know it just kinda hit me you know, and it just I don't know I guess it, you know like you just um it kinda gets swept off your feet
7: I'm not
8: out to my family and I did tell mum two years ago, but she said, oh, I think it's a phase and we've never spoken about it since.
2: When I came out to my best friend, the next day, zero contact. We went from talking every day, seeing each other every day, to like I didn't exist.
6: High
9: school, for a while, I tried to pretend it was just a bad dream.
4: People used to spit on me when I walked to class. She picked up my dinner plate and threw it straight at my head. On all fronts, I was being, like, broken down.
0: The bullying
7: was... Those constant noises in the back of your head, you know, that were kind of like, no, you don't deserve to be here.
2: I was just sitting in class, and the senior staff member poked his head in and just asked to speak to me. He was asking me if I was going to formal, and I said no. And he was like, well, that's good, because if you felt like bringing a male partner or your boyfriend, you wouldn't be welcome there with them.
4: It was kind of amazing because I found all these other people that are like me. It was almost just a sigh of relief
1: that there was nothing wrong with me. I just wanted to go up and hug everyone. It was really liberating.
3: There are, how many knows how many thousands of people who live in a situation where it's not safe for them to be out.
0: Well, I think that when you stop obsessing about who you are and how people see you and what
3: people think of you, you're free.
5: That's uh, beautiful, and I had tears in my eyes again when when I heard that.
0: You're on Joy 94.9, and this is A Little Pot of Joy with your hosts, Alice and Andrea. Well, Andrea, I have tears in my eyes too. Isn't it just a touching story?
2: It's such an amazing story. And why do we really need to have safe spaces? Why can't we just be accepted?
0: Some of the things that those kids have been dealing with are are really tough, and it's wonderful to hear about the positive experiences that they've had as well as part of this organisation.
2: It's such an amazing story and you really should go back and listen to the entire podcast but also have a look at the Kickstart promo and watch the entire trailer.
0: Yeah, and give to the project if you can.
2: And they're not very far off their target at the moment. This morning they were very, very close.
0: Only about $500 away so it really won't take that much more for the film to get released.
2: And it's something that I'd really like to go and see. Me too. Up next we have the second part from Stand Up Straight.
0: So this is part two of this wonderful interview that Michelle Barber and Clayton did with Susie Taylor, the producer of Love in Full Colour, along with two of her young stars from the documentary, Madeline and Steph. Susie met and interviewed some young organisers of the event, along with others who were attending for the first time.
2: In this part of the interview, we hear a little bit more about their stories from these inspiring young persons. If you couldn't listen to the program live, download the podcast from the Joy website, www.joy.org.au or the iTunes store.
1: This is A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program.
5: Good evening everyone and welcome. I am Michelle Barber and you're listening to Stand Up Straight. Did you attend your high school dance or formal? Were you allowed to have anyone as your partner? How would you feel if you were advised that the person that you loved was not welcome? We take for granted sometimes that the, pe- that the people we do love make no difference to anyone, but sometimes it does. So my first question to Maddie and Steph, welcome to the microphone and the studio, but did it br- did that bring back memories? Does that make you feel a bit happy sad emotional when you hear that it, it's an emotional thing because
9: so i was only in there briefly but <clears throat> just listening to what what we've all been through in the past and what, what we're all getting to now the, the highs and the lows it's amazing
7: mm. it's crazy mm. to just see how far everyone's come what's um just the whole process of everything it was an incredible experience being in the documentary and yeah it's just it's insane can
5: I ask you my, my first question is can you remember and I'd love to paint a picture for the people that are listening can you remember what it was like when you walked in the doors at your first same-sex formal not so much what you're wearing or anything like that but do you remember feeling I'm home or scared or anxious or what? T- tell us what you felt like when you walked in those doors the first time honestly
9: I was working I, I was part of the minor setting crew for the, the very first same sex formal. So I'd spent most of the day setting up. Mm. And so I would just watched the room go from this pretty much just a giant empty space to a ballroom. Mm. And because when something happens gradually, it's hard for you to really notice it. But when I'd left to do something, I came back and just looked around and went, wow, this is happening. It's happening. Did this you is realize the thing.
5: Did you realize the gravity of it though? Yeah. Like yeah. We've been talking
9: about this for years. Cuz I think at that stage I'd been on the Minus crew for about 2 years and we've been talking about it since then. So I remember thinking
5: we did it. This is going to happen. Mm. And what about you, Steph? when you when you walked in the door? Looking gorgeous and stunning, of course. i had
7: had the longest day because um, <laughs> I lived in Albury at the time. But, no, walking through the door, it was absolutely overwhelming, but fantastic. I was nervous. I was excited. And, yeah, I did feel at home. It was the first time I'd been to anything like that. Mm. And we talked a little bit about a rites of passage.
5: Did you, think that, did you feel that at all yourselves, either of you?
7: I did. Um, I was banned from going to my debutante. In year eleven, wow. so can I ask you about that? Yeah. So, so how does so a school? We, we're not schools yeah. are irrelevant.
5: They banned you. So do they say you can't come, or you can't? You can come on your own, but
7: not with a. Um, so I was originally going to take my brother. I was new to the school, didn't have anyone to take. Asked if I could take a girl with me, and they flat out said that I couldn't go to the deb anymore. Was this from? Again, it's not pointing fingers at a school. But I'm trying
5: to get the mindset. Was this from a principal or from a teacher or a counsellor? It who, was from who? the
7: head of department, and she ran the deb every year. And she just said that because it wasn't traditional, I couldn't take a girl. Did you ever. Did you try and fight it or have a group of you that tried to fight it or yeah we we um we went to try and speak to her multiple times we tried to speak to the principal and it just didn't work and I ended up giving up and just going no and it was really sad watching all of my friends go knowing that I couldn't Wow, you go to school after the formal
5: has happened right and they've all they've all been and had their great night out and what happens
7: with you that that day Did they talk to you? Do you feel yeah? They they were all bragging and they'd had a great night and they had all their photos on Facebook and I was genuinely happy for them, but it was still a little bit sad the fact mm. that I couldn't go and yeah. Did you did you feel anything or have anything like that yourself? Um, My school
9: had you actually weren't allowed to bring a partner from outside of school. End of story. The formal had the eleven and twelves had a combined formal, so I guess they thought we don't want to have too many more people in there but my school was the type... Everything was very heteronormative. Mm-hmm. Um, in Year 12, I just decided not to go because I was very, very much an outcast at that stage. Year 12, I I didn't really have friends at school, so it seemed like it wasn't worth it to pay money for a ticket and a dress and I wouldn't feel comfortable in mm-hmm. and go along to a night that I wouldn't enjoy with people who didn't like me. <laughs> it's <laughs> that simple,
5: isn't it? Can you... Can anybody understand, I wonder, out there that's listening, the gravity of creating a space that is ultimately the safest place to be, which is the formal? I wonder if anybody understands why this is so important. That's, that's, I suppose, a question to you guys as well and, and also to Susie, but why is this so important? We probably all in this room understand why, but can you tell us why this space is so important?
9: I was thinking that last year or the year before, Uh, Minus had a post about the formal about they had a a possibility to donate for people to sponsor tickets and someone commented on it saying I'm not why should I pay for kids to go to a party and it's not like that at all because like you're saying it is you know a party and a good night but it the whole rite of passage thing Mm. your high school formal is I I know that the deb was initially what presented to society as adults you it's it's a big thing and I don't, and it, if you don't feel safe somewhere, like I didn't feel safe going to my year twelve formal, so I didn't Why go and not I it
5: safe. What do you mean?
9: because i was uh, I was bullied a lot, mm. and I didn't want to put myself in a situation where it could get worse.
5: Had you had um people come up to you and say, why do you want to go? You know, it's just a dance. It's just a party. Oh yeah, yeah. So how do you explain to people why the gravity of it? Which I think it's a huge event.
9: At the time of my year twelve formal, I wrote, I just like pr- brushed it off. It was oh yeah, why would I want to go to that? Mm. As as a defence mechanism, like it was like my oh why would I want to be
5: popular mm. kind of thing when I was desperate for friends. Yeah. Um, the um, same sex formal is. Uh Is this something that should be introduced in every state, every country, town? Do you
6: think it could be accepted everywhere, do you think? Something that Micah, um, who heads up Minus18, said, um, which I thought really really nailed the point beautifully, is that it would be lovely if we didn't have to have these kinds of (laughs) (laughs) things. I think (laughs) that's one of my last questions on the list, is it would be great if we didn't need it. Mm -hmm. It Yeah,
5: every space should be a safe space. It isn't yet. No, it's not. And hopefully we don't need this same-sex formal, but at the moment I think it's beautiful that we have it. What do you want everyone out there to know?
9: I think just for me the most important thing that's come out of this, most important thing that I already knew, but what this really makes clear is the importance and the power of community yeah. and of having people on your side because isolation mm-hmm. is a terrible thing.
5: Yeah, I agree. I hear
9: people say, you know, that whole cliché about school days are the best days of your lives. Oh, no, no, no way. <laughs> And I, I can't imagine... I don't know how I got through my school days because that, that total isolation was a nightmare.
0: You're on Joy 94.9 and this is A Little Pot of Joy with Alice and Andrea. And that was a really amazing story.
2: I mean, I'm not sure how anyone could not feel something about the way they were treated.
0: Absolutely. And what they achieved as well. It seems like it's a huge event and it means a lot to these young people.
2: It's so inspiring. and You just can't imagine being put in a situation where you're not welcome just because you want to bring your own partner and how you feel about someone and you get excluded it's just so wrong
0: it's terrible
2: like the world is full of decisions and you're not allowed to make your own decision and that's a life choice
0: absolutely and I think that what's really inspiring is that all these young people have taken their power back by organizing this event so they can make that choice
2: and up next, we have Second Breakfast with Sonia Hammer.
0: So in this interview, Sonia Hammer speaks with Judy Reimer about her documentary, I Will Not Be Silenced, which opened the Human Rights Arts and Film Festival, that's a mouthful, right here in Melbourne this year. The documentary focuses on the courageous battle of one woman, Charlotte Campbell-Steven, an Australian living in Nairobi, Kenya.
2: Charlotte is trying to have her gang rape prosecuted in a Kenyan court and to bring the perpetrators to justice.
0: It's a confronting story, but her fight is an inspirational one, and Judy shed some light on the challenges and rewards of recording the documentary as events continue to unfold.
2: You can listen to the entire podcast by downloading it from the Joy website, www.joy.org.au, Community Highlights, or download it for free from the iTunes store.
1: You're listening to A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program.
8: This morning here on Your Second Breakfast was Sonia on Joy 94.9 and I have here Judy Reimer. Welcome to The Second Breakfast on Joy. Hi, Sonia. Hey, it's good to have you here. And you're, of course, the filmmaker of I Will Not Be Silenced. It's a terrific film and just a a warning out there, the topic of what we're talking about this morning here on Second Breakfast. We don't do this all the time. It is about a rape and the attack and assault of a woman and in particular one woman, an Australian, Charlotte Campbell Stevens. I want you to tell us a bit about it. Well, it
3: follows the court case of Charlotte campbell Stephen after she was gang-raped in Nairobi. She decided, against advice, to try and prosecute her rape because she felt the strong need to blaze a trail for the women of Kenya Mm. by herself really being the guinea pig to see if she could get the court case through. As the story unfolds, it takes much longer than she thought, and it was much harder than she thought, and that was
8: the same for me, too. Yeah, of course. And so this journey in this film, it takes a scope of how many years? Well, for Charlotte, it was seven and a half years. And for mm. us, it was
3: four and a half. Right. So we came in when Charlotte put out a press release that really she was having such incredible difficulty. She really didn't know what to do. And mm. I had met her a couple of years before and thought that the story was interesting but couldn't see how I could approach it. But it mm. stuck in my mind. Mm. And when that press release came through, I said to my colleague, you know, this is the film that I really want to be making. And she said to me, well, for that's the case, we'd better make it. And 10 (laughs) days later, actually, with the help of Screen Australia, we were in Nairobi. Wow. (laughs) That's
8: fast? Is that normally that sort of process? Well, we kind of found
3: a way to shoot shoot a critical part in the resumption of the case so that we had an opening to the film. And off we went. And so what really made you drawn to her story? The strength of Charlotte, Mm. and of course, as you would know, the matters of rape are universal in the world, and we still, in every country, find it difficult for women to prosecute a rape and get the kind of justice that you would really Mm. expect that we should and I'm interested in that and Charlotte was so terrifically strong and compelling because it's a funny thing to say but she was so without self-pity and so determined Mm. that this action was going to be a strong go for justice that you could see you had a great story.
8: Yes, I've been lucky to be privy to seeing a screener of the film and I must admit, just all power to her. She just kept going. She could have given up, but the fantastic thing, I mean, without spoiling it for people too much, she actually helps to support and influence the woman around her in Mm. Kenya. Is she still in Kenya? Yes, she is. She's Uh in Kenya and she still works a
3: lot Mm -hmm. with the women in the Kibera slum, which is the slum that she's been associated with Mm. for all of her time in Kenya. And I mean, the other thing that's really important about it is that also while Charlotte was giving the women a voice, the women were supporting her. They turned up Mm. at the court which they'd never done. Dangerous to do that for them. And travelling probably a long way. Yeah, Mm. and so this kind of groundswell started to collect around her which has become incredibly important for Mm. women carrying on that movement to get women to speak.
8: Yeah, because there are some scenes and topics that are discussed in the film that are pretty eye-opening, very challenging for a lot of viewers. There will be some things that will confront you but that is the daily life of women in this particular slum Kibera in Nairobi and just the camera work I mean you're there in the slum it's like a labyrinth of poverty you know what was that like well very- really tough mm. lucky to have a great Melbourne cinematographer
3: Martin Dean mm. behind the lens yeah it was I mean one of the things that the viewer won't have to face that we did was that it's actually open sewer everywhere mm. and really a hard attack on the census So <laughs> <I bet. laughs> (laughs) But the thing about Mm. the slum, which we all learned, was that there's an incredible spirit in the desperation that confronts everybody in their Mm. daily lives. Nearly everybody's pitching hard to get enough food to eat today. But within that, you just meet some amazing people whose take on
8: life when their own lives are really desperate is absolutely inspiring. And there's some amazing groups, too, that do pop up. A gender violence recovery centre was one of them I noticed. And it does seem to help significantly to bring women out of the closet, so to speak, of what's happened to them where they've been raped and assaulted. I think it's the fact that Charlotte stood up and spoke out and
3: didn't try and hide anything mm. and was a Masungu, a white woman, was incredibly significant to starting something amongst those women. Mm. And the women took it up. And that's what Charlotte wanted to do, but they had never heard a white woman talk mm. about being raped. And because mm. the women were coming to the court and watching what happened to her, they learned about the court process, which they didn't know, because no one had ever been through the court system uh-huh. to is cute right what so, a process you know my it goodness! Was, yeah, I mean, at, at times Charlotte would say, "Goodness me, I wonder if any woman's ever going to follow me through this." But Jane Adongo, who is a is a leader in the Kibera community, certainly learned a lot of things about process, about collection of evidence, and all
8: of those three mm. things through Charlotte. And it's critically important in them being able to get things done. Yes, I mean, for me, I'm thinking that the film itself could be used as an educational information tool. You know, to see just what she goes through. Is there any chance that, or well, has it been taken? through Nairobi and Kenya? Uh, Well, one of our great supporters in the film, I mean, the
3: reason that we had court access for Mm. as long as we did, is the Chief Justice, Dr. Matunga, who is a reformer working against the odds in his own judiciary. Yes, he's a tough cookie. And he gave us permission Mm. to film and never stopped it. And when we finished the film, we took it and I had a screening with him by himself. And he was amazingly moved by the film and he said he was calling the judges together for a colloquium at the end of last year and he intended to show it to them. So. Mm. 400 judges and magistrates Sat in a room And watched the film
8: Far out (laughs) Which was a very
3: cool thing For us
8: Very cool Did you ever expect In your career That something like this Would happen No I did not And it was a really Great beginning
3: To who the audience For this film would be It was great too One of our first screenings Was in the Kibera slum To the women Mm. And that was an amazing Screening because It was very silent Everybody just sat there I think they were shocked To see themselves Mm. And I guess. Shocked at the power of the film And they went away for a long time And thought about it And then people came to find us And tell us how helpful they thought it was And could they show it to other people Which
8: was exactly what we
3: wanted to happen cool.
8: so that was great. And I guess word of mouth You'll get out there And more women will want to see it And flock to it But also bad manners Now that was a term that came up Amongst <laughs> some of the local women About sex and sexual activity And when these terrible things happen To do with sex How hard was that to get over the, You know, get through that Cultural well, part of the, you know
3: Jane, I mean, the the wonderful thing about Jane is that because she is living the life that Mm. she wants to change, she knows all the nuances. And by using Charlotte, she's able to kind of get over some of those things. You can see when Charlotte's speaking in the film with a group of wonderful women, when she starts talking quite graphically about what's occurred and what happened to her, the women are very taken aback because it's just not discussed. Yeah, I think one of the things to probably acknowledge is that mm. you know that that rape is a very very big problem mm. in Kenya, and it's a very very big problem in the big slums. It's a, a huge problem, and also defilement of children. Ooh, and, yes, yes. It's... And the more people can speak out about it and club together to do something about it, the better off everybody's
8: going to be. Mm. So for this wonderful eye opener and very important film, your film, <laughs> where to next? Well, we're talking about to television at the moment and so we expected awesome. to
3: go out on one of the channels. Mm. And it's doing a very good festival circuit. I think it's been now to about 15 or 16 international film festivals. Cool. And it's been well received,
8: so that's just great for us. And a message out there to women, there may be women who have a similar experience out there that might be listening. What would you advise them to do after working with Charlotte, Stephen?
3: Well, I mean, the thing is that it's a very difficult thing to advise anybody what to do when Mm. they've been raped because it's a shockingly bad thing. But one of the things that I've learned from Charlotte is that there is therapy In speaking about it and seeking justice. And even how, how hard that justice can be, I think, as Charlotte herself says, pain is a temporary thing, but regret you have forever.
8: Lasts a lifetime, indeed. That's a very powerful idea and message there. So, Judy, we wish you all the best of luck for this fabulous film. It's very important. It's very sobering. It's a wake-up for sure of what's going on for a lot of women in other parts of the world and different cultures. I will not be silenced. It's the opening night movie for the wonderful and really important Human Rights and Arts Film Festival held here in Melbourne. And uh, where can people go to find out more about... Do you have a webpage? page we for a website. the film? Yes, they can go to Rhymer Charles, and you can rent or buy from there. Yes, yes hoping. So. <laughs> Thank Thank you very, very much for speaking to us, Judy. Oh, Sonia, thanks for giving <laughs> me the time. Excellent. This is your second breakfast, a little bit different this morning.
1: Joy.
2: I've been listening to A Little Pot of Joy on Joy 94.9 with Alice and Andrea and had an absolutely wonderful evening here. Some of the most amazing stories.
0: A lot of really fantastic stories. And again, I couldn't encourage people enough to go back and listen to the full podcast because there's a lot that we always have to cut out, isn't there?
2: Ah, uh, that's the hard part.
1: You've been listening to A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. See joy.org.au and click on our podcast link to subscribe to your favourite podcasts free.
6: Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast, brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.